0: Proverbs 23. Subject before us is one that we're all familiar with. Children. Well, children do not come into the world with a handbook attached to them or detailed information about their idiosyncrasies, their strengths or their weaknesses or their flaws. Some by nature seem placid and easygoing. Others seem to be grand and stubborn from day one. Some are easygoing to the extent that they never seem to have much difficulty and others we wonder was that one swapped in the hospital by mistake? <laughs> Some others look and feel awkward and difficult. So there's no wonder that often parents think the role is that of a failure, because as uh, we go through life, it's only as we are reaching pension age we realize how many mistakes that were made along the way were so wise after the event, so to speak. And yet for all that, there is a rule book. A rule book which is infallible and authoritative. The only question is, how do we match up or not match up to the rule book? What then are we to do? Well, for one thing, one thing, we would say to parents, don't buy any books throw all the books that are recommended out the the door, put them in the bin, ignore all the quack advice, all the parenting gurus who tell us what to look out for. In one sense, we can say all children are the same, only different. And it's time to work out where they're same and where they're different. God gives children as it pleases Him. Sometimes he doesn't give children. Other times he does. But he gives children and then he tells you, you're just going to have to get on with this. In other words, they are taken on trust. That's essentially what happens. They're taken on trust. That is to say they're taken by us in trust. So our subject as we look at these verses read, children taken on trust. They're put into the hands of parents and they are to love them and educate them, lead them, guide them and do all the things that are required of them according to the word of God. Firstly then, verse 13, do not be afraid to correct. Do not be afraid to correct. Correction is in two forms, verbal and physical, although the latter is much despised and in some places illegal. But Ephesians 6.4 tells you, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's easy, I think, to give verbal instruction to your children. The other is a bit more difficult. There is a fear factor. Well, Solomon assures you corporal correction will not kill them. Of course we know. Now there are some bad parents who have indeed killed their children. And for that they probably should be executed. But generally we can say at the most basic level of our existence, most parents do want the best for their children. But Christian parents want more than what ordinary parents want. Corporal instruction will actually ensure their survival. Verse 6 of Proverbs 22 Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Verse 15 Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from it. So corporal instruction Will actually ensure the survival of our children. That's the opposite of what our culture tells us. And the failure to correct, both verbally and corporally, will actually be bad for them. Fathers provoke not your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Of course, you may have an objection, but that doesn't seem right. Well, what Paul is telling you is you can provoke to wrath by indulgence, by indulging their behavior, by failing to correct their behavior. You provoke them to wrath. They can be provoked to wrath by capriciousness. Parents ought to be consistent. You can provoke to wrath by unreasonableness in your demands. We should be reasonable in what we demand. And there's no point in giving them a cuff round the ear because we're unable to lift something that turned out to be far too heavy for their little hands to get hold of. You can also provoke to wrath by selfishness. Parents are not to be selfish. And you can provoke to wrath by partiality, preferring one child over another. Be no Isaac. Do not prefer one above the other. I know what can happen naturally. You have one child, very placid, easygoing, Whatever you say they do, and the other one, the other one just seems the one always to argue and fight and resist and be awkward. Meaning you want to take them by the throat and simply squeeze it. They can do that to a parent. And so what tends to happen in response? We tend to be uh, much more kinder to one than the other. No partiality in your duty provokes the wrath. Remember, there is a standard of right and wrong. And it is to that standard we bring every fault. We say to them not. And ordinarily, as you know, I say, the fifth commandment seems to be much in when they're younger. Uh, But then as they get older and understand more, we take them to other commands. You know, when they're out and they start screaming, I want, I want, and you say, the tenth commandment, thou shalt not cover Or if you discover they brought something home that they shouldn't have had, you say, "I shall not steal." Now we're going to have to go back to the shop with a bag. Or if you ask the question, they don't give you the right answer, you bring them to the commandments. So you, every action you keep bringing back to that authoritative standard, and because they have broken that authoritative standard, then correction is required. So a verbal correction always, sometimes physical correction is required. And so Solomon tells you do not be afraid to correct. And indeed I say to all of you, you should encourage parents if you see them correcting their children. Even in the street, in the shop, correct them as you go by, say, well done, or whatever. They may take a heart attack because somebody had to congratulate them. But but nonetheless, and if you're out and you see children behaving well, you say to their parents, your children are well behaved. And I thank you for that. That's a wonderful thing to see. Parents need encouragement. Because they're the object of hatred. You see, in our woke culture, as it is, hateful phrase, but anyway, it's common, in our culture nowadays, that suspicion and cynicism that is everywhere, that Marxist ideology,
1: the family
0: is now viewed as an oppressor. So parents are now the enemy. And the family must be destroyed. So what was a fringe theory is now heart and center of our university education, heart and center of our culture. The gurus of our culture hate the family, but God puts us in families, doesn't he? God puts us in families, and the Holy Spirit by the mouth and pen of Solomon tells you. Don't be afraid to correct your darlings. The correction will not kill them. To the contrary, the correction will do them good. But then secondly, verse 14, I shall beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Understanding the purpose of correction. The goal of correction is always spiritual. As we look at these little darlings that God has entrusted to our care, born within the covenant, we know our desire is what? Our desire is that as they come to those years of greater understanding, they will themselves profess faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we're looking for. And our greatest sorrow, every parent will tell you that's saying, their greatest sorrow is when those little children become adults and they have no time for God. That is a sorrow. The rejection of the covenant. So the goal, according to 14, is the motivation for correction. Here is what drives correction. Here's what energizes the Christian parent to correct, to teach them positively the narrow way, and to correct, to chasten and to punish for sins that belong to the broad way. So we teach them positively. Here are the characteristics of the narrow But when they display characteristics of the broad, we chisel, we correct, because the goal is spiritual, to deliver the soul from hell. Now sometimes we grant the goal is simply short term, by which I mean to keep them from harming themselves, so you correct them verbally and physically because you don't want them to harm themselves. You don't want them in the grave. That's a short-term goal. You know, uh, when children become teenagers, they all want to drive, don't they? Well, I know I did. I'm sure every teenager was the same. They all wanted to drive. And uh, some of us got on a tractor when we were 10 and 11 and learned to drive that way, which might explain some of our erratic behavior. But nonetheless, Starting to drive was that sense of reaching maturity. And then we got a car. And then we thought, Well, no harm will come. And then we came home with a, a few scratches and a dint and a, or two and a window missing. We're grounded. Keys taken off. That was it for a while. Well, the short-term goal was to ensure we didn't kill ourselves with our silliness. So, short-term goals are important too. But always the goal is long-term, to deliver the soul from hell. Sometimes children grow up thinking very mean, negative thoughts about their parents. They grew up thinking that their parents are mean to them, narrow-minded, very negative about things, always seeming to say no, that they have a bias and a prejudice against the world, which they think is unfair, unreasonable, and impossible to maintain. They say you need to get more. You need to sort of come forward with the rest of us and so they get to thinking well when i'm old enough this is what i'm going to do that's the theory of course it never works out that way what they cannot see is what the older believers sees. And what the older believer knows and understands is that only a Christian is truly free. The sinner is not free. And what they're rubbing up against is their natural disposition against a parental Christian restriction. And what they want is to get rid of that Christian restriction, not realizing that all they're going to end up doing is following their bondage. That's what they're doing. Following their bondage. And that's what Solomon is warning them against. Believing parents grasp all this. The believing parent knows this. The believing parent is actually wiser than all of these children realize. They may never have been to university. Or they may have. It makes no difference. They have a spiritual wisdom and knowledge and insight and understanding that surpasses all that education. They look at these children and they know. My goal, they say, is this. To deliver this soul from hell. It was a spiritual goal. So they're given on trust. And we get older and parents always ask, I wonder that I keep the trust, that I fulfill the task and the duty that God gave to me. They were given a trust. They were taken a trust. They were put into my charge. And so they always wonder." that I do, I did. Well, the answer to that is, what was your goal? You can haul them all over creation to one event after another. And I meet lots of parents who are exhausted. They are exhausted because they're a taxi service. And it's okay for the first one, but then they have a second or a third and a fourth, and they're out constantly. And they get in the bed at night completely exhausted. And they do it all the next day again. And the next day after that. But all oh, how exhausting it right? Now. is. Because their goal is the short term. They simply want nothing more than that. Their children go do everything, enjoy everything, and have a wonderful time. And they think this is the best parenting that one could possibly engage in. Solomon would say to you, it's all garbage. And it's all garbage because you don't have this one single long-term goal. And that goal is entirely spiritual. So, provided you have this long-term goal, you may not have the money. You may not even have the wheels that drive them all over the country to one event after another. And that's okay. Of course, the children may be in this, but we'll deal with that in due course, eh, God willing, next time. But we'll come to it in verse 17. But in the meantime, they may grow up saying, Oh, I was never taken to this, I was never taken to that. And uh, the Christian parent will say, Well, all that is true. But I did bring you to the means of grace. I did do that because that is the great goal, that is the great aspiration. There is a hell that's ahead and I threw myself into this spiritual activity to keep you out of hell. So you see we understand the purpose of correction but then thirdly verses 15 and 16 delighting in wisdom attained my son if thy heart be wise my heart shall rejoice even mine yea my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things the focus here is the evidence of growth and development. Now, these two verses, I have to say to you, introduce a very lengthy section on the marks and characteristics and evidence of spiritual maturity in these children who have arrived at adulthood. And it will confront all the major sins of every culture. So it's an introduction, but it's also part of this particular section. And he tells you two things. First of all, verse 15, wisdom in the heart. And secondly, verse 16, wisdom on the lips. So here is what parents look for. They look for growth in grace and knowledge of Christ. A spiritual understanding, orthodoxy even in belief, soundness of mind. Now, these children given in trust may grow up to be funny, entertaining, and be really good company. But they could also be heretical, erroneous in their ideas and beliefs, without any clear understanding without any clear knowledge of the scripture's understanding of saving things, there's not much point in them being entertaining and funny and good company if they're simply heretical. Solomon's point is this. Parents will know that their instruction is understood and embraced when it has entered the heart. When they themselves have become convinced of it, have embraced it themselves, follow it themselves, pursue it themselves, that they have a desire in themselves for spiritual things, and that they state what is right. They are teachable if they get it wrong. And the Christian parent says, I don't think that is right. Because the Bible says this, and our confession of faith confirms that. So I don't think you're right. You need to go back and rethink your position. Of course, remember, what is right is always determined by the law of God. So if they come along and they're saying that they're thinking of doing something, and they say... I hope you don't do that. If they are mature, they will say, why? What's wrong with it? And you, with your spirit, of wisdom, and knowledge, would say, well, because see, the fifth commandment or, or the eighth commandment or the ninth commandment or the third commandment does tell this and this and what you're saying is contrary to that and doesn't match up. And uh, remembering the third commandment about taking the name of the Lord in vain, we do that. Will lead to blasphemy and how can you defend it? So you reason with them and you show them from the law of God what is right. And then they will understand me and that's what you look for. Ah, they might say, I can see now for myself that you're absolutely right. How foolish I was to even think that. So this is when we will begin to see the impact of all those years of biting your nails, turning your hair out, shedding tears, the conflicts and the struggles and the correction that you've gazed in, and all those many years from, you can walk and talk and you begin to see the outcome. And so in this following very long section from 17 to 35, you the five great cultural issues of every generation. What are they? Envy, drunkenness, gluttony, rebellion, sexuality. Five great cultural issues of every age. And um, we start with envy. Because, well, that's the first thing we notice, isn't it? When they come and they say, my friend is just God. I would like one, too. There you begin to realize envy starts young. And then as they get older, you arrive at the last one. That becomes such a difficult area as well. But what you mustn't miss in the meantime is the role of parents and all this correction to try and steer them along the narrow way. Well, let's finish with a few points of application. First of all, I say to you, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or not, any of those things, avoid extremes. On the one hand, indulgence, giving your little darlings whatever they want, thinking this is the way to happiness. It isn't. It simply makes them more demanding and discontent. Avoid indulgence. But on the other hand, I say to avoid meanness, giving them nothing at all. I knew expectations changed. Uh, some perhaps can remember when all we got maybe on our birthday was a, an apple, an orange, and some extra sweeties, and a toy. Because it was a real toilet made of tin. We exactly turned. And that was it. For another year. And I know, well, that's hardly going to work nowadays. Don't see why not, but well, that's the way it is. But avoid meanness. Giving. Nothing. And at the same time, in the midst of all of this, parents should remember their own flaws. Because, after all, parents were once children, too. They were once teenagers. They were once twenties and thirties. Remember our own flaws, of which we have many, many, many flaws. So avoid extremes. Avoid creating the impression that you're absolutely perfect in everything. Of course, there are some. we might say are perfect, but we avoid the idea That we are the fount of all knowledge. We know absolutely everything about everything. And that our view is always right on everything. Regardless of what the topic is. So avoid extremes. And secondly, parents should not try to make their children a clone of themselves. And we do see this, don't we? We see mothers dressing their daughters identical to themselves. We see fathers doing the same with their sons. In other words, do not impose upon them what common sense tells you not to. And even worse, do not try to live your life through them. There are some parents, because they were disappointed at everything, they thought, well, I will get my children to do everything that I was not able to do, I will relive my life. I will have a second childhood. I will have a second life. Their life will be the life that I didn't have. You see, all of that is missing the real thing. It's missing the central goal, which is that these children will become adults, individual adults in their own right. I suppose you might say, I'm not too sure about the phrase, but. We kind of say that, anyway. they will be individuals, and the great goal is that they will stand in the public square as followers of the Lord. That's the great goal. So we don't need to try and live our life through them. Because we want the Lord to be seen in them, that's what we want. That's a much more grand objective, that's a much more grand way of looking at their lives because we recall, as parents do, all the years we lived in sin, to confess Christ in the public square. We don't want them to be our champion. We want them to be God's champion. Stand for God. We want to encourage them. Remember the ultimate goal be followers of the Lamb. Yes, they may be successful. But you know, if our children grew up and they are very successful in will return, but they know not the Lord, it's not worth talking. It's a tragedy. But if they grew up Followers of the Lord and our successor, that we rejoice in. It's not fame and fortune that we're looking for as Christian parents, it's following Jesus. May the Lord bless these words.